Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. When I found in the desert place, though I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. And when the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name. Blessed be your name, sun shining down on me, when the world's all as it should be, blessed be your name, and blessed be your name, on the road marked with suffering, though there's pain in the offering. Blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. And when the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. Blessed be the blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. You hear.
that test is coming. <laughs> Hallelujah. Lord God, I just, I just feel your pause. Father God, in the name of Jesus, whew, prepare us for what's to come. We're reading, uh, Pastor's going to break down and share a word from you. I feel a, a powerful word is coming. Lord, bless him and anoint him, Lord. Anoint his words, Lord, and, and help that to prepare us what is to come. Oh, Lord, I do not know what's around that bend, but Father God, have mercy on this country. Have mercy on Georgia. Have mercy on Cartersville and Cobb County and um, um, I forgot what this county is. <laughs> this county. Thank you, Bartow. And uh, the, the, the school teachers let me hear it clearly. Bartow, Lord, thank you, Lord. We just need your hand of mercy here. Oh, we're in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the world. We need your mercy, Father. Prepare us for what is to come, Lord. That last song. We're singing, when you give and you take away, my heart will choose to say, blessed be your name. And Father God, we've been living with plenty and blessing and you bless my family and bless many of us, oh God. Even when time seems hard, your ha we have not seen what hard is, Lord. Have mercy, oh God, on this country and prepare us for what is to come. And we thank you. We give you praise in advance. We say thank you in advance of what is to come, Lord. You promised to be with us, not on any mountain, but in the valley. Thank you, Lord, for, for your hand, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As Great. 
great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. A pardon for sin and a peace that been held in your hands from the moment that I wake up until I lay my head I will sing of the goodness of God
I will see but the goodness of God. I will see but the goodness of God. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I surrender now. I give you everything. Good morning. Good morning. After that long day Sunday, I hadn't caught up. That was a good time Sunday. We all had a blast over there at Tom and Barb's, and I imagine they're still sleeping. <laughs> but it's good to see y'all tonight. I'll get on track here in a minute. If you have your Bibles, if you're open to Isaiah chapter 55. One of my favorite chapters, particularly in Isaiah, but it's really one of my favorite chapters in the Bible itself. It's just, um, there's so much here, so much to to comprehend regarding who Jesus is and the fact that the invitation is there. For all who want to believe, all who choose to believe, there's an invitation we're going to read that tonight, but let's go to the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the, for the time we have together. We thank you for these Wednesday studies. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you, Lord, that you are completely and totally in control of all things. We need not fear what man can do. We need not fear what, what's going on around us, uh, the lies, the conniving, all the stuff that happens, Lord. Yeah, it's frustrating, but they can't do anything to us unless it goes through your hand. And Lord, if they take our body, they can't take anything away from us because we will be with you forever. And so we choose not to be afraid, but we just choose to trust. In the midst of the darkest times, we trust. And so we come to you tonight, Lord, and we just ask you'll open our ears, speak to our hearts, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah 55, verse 1. Ho, oh. <laughs> ho, everybody. 
Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? And your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. And let your soul delight itself in abundance. Now, just one thing I want to comment on that last part of that verse. It doesn't say, let your flesh or your stomach delight itself in abundance. Let your soul delight in abundance. And basically what that means is when your spirit is awakened to the spirit of God, your soul is now submitted to the spirit. It's no longer about its flesh anymore. It's not about the things that, that, that feeds the flesh, the food, uh, the wants, the desires. And it says here, it, it, it will, our soul will be delighted in abundance if we come to Jesus, if we come to the Lord and accept what he's offering, and we don't have to pay for it. There is a cost he paid, but all we have to do is believe. Any comments on these verses? right now I do like a good hamburger but I know exactly what you're saying you know there is a time for fasting and this is something that we really haven't really talked a lot about here we've we've spoken about it in the past but you know many times um, uh, we get focused on those things you know what are we going to eat you know what are we going to drink everything Jesus said for us not to worry about we tend to think about what are we going to wear you know, what are we going to do? How is this going to work? Where are we going to live? And and Jesus is saying here, listen, none of that stuff is important when you really come down to where the rubber meets the road. What's important is, is the eternal picture, the eternal life that we know we have in Jesus that that is, that is waiting for us, and it's an open invitation. And like I said, it's going to cost you nothing. In this world, we spend a lot of money, don't we? We spend a lot of money on the things that, that we desire, but we come up empty. I mean, how many times have you gone to the restaurant that you've never eaten before? You say, oh, I want to try that place, and we recently did. We won't go back. <laughs> There's a new little place opened up, country-style food, and we were trying to check it out. Well, first time we went by, they, they were closed, even though the website said they were open. And uh, so we said, okay, we'll try another time. Went in, and... No, it's not something I would go back to. So we're disappointed. So you go and you spend your money and you're disappointed. That's just an example that happens all the time. You know, you go buy clothes. You get home you say, I don't like these after all. They don't fit right. And I've got clothes in the closet that don't fit right. They keep getting smaller. <laughs> I, I don't know how that's happening, but they do. They just shrink. Um, but we spend money and we come up empty. We come up unsatisfied. It's like we're building that barn, we're storing it full and expecting it to be there when we need it. Uh, the stock market is a prime example in, in the world today. People are investing, they're pouring money into the stock market. And it's crashed so many times, you would think that people would learn their lesson that this is not a secure place. 
to put your money. I, I knew back in, in the in the 90s, uh, and, and particularly early 2000s, I mean, I knew people that had, they had their whole livelihood stuffed in that stock market, and they lost it all, started all over again, and they still went right back to it. They think this is their safe place. This is their security. But Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 26, he said, For what profit is it for a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And then Luke 12, 16 through 21, he says, Then he spake a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I'll do this. I'll pull down my barns and build greater ones. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And when I'll say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose, whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And in Matthew 6, 19 through 21, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what we have in, in the world that we're living in is we have this whole model, this business model, this is set up that this is how we're to live. And it's not this way necessarily all around the world. We're a very wealthy country. We're a very rich country. And we have somewhat freedom, more so still than others. A lot's been taken away. A lot more will be taken away. But we have the ability to to live our life based on the model that we're raised in. And, and, and this is the, the hard part about it. We have become a very spoiled generation to where everything is instant. It's instant gratification, instant information, instant money. You take your card, put it in the machine, you get money out. You know, and what was it that, that, uh, that somebody once said, well, I know I got money in the bank. I got all these checks left. And so, you know, you have this stuff, and in your mindset, you, you, this is this is how you live your life. Well, this is not how we're supposed to live our lives. And I know this is a very difficult thing to talk to, to Christians in the United States because they live their lives in the system. And this system has been taught to them, and when they become believers, they don't let go of the system. And I'm not saying you just cash it all in and put your money under a mattress. This is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you learn not to depend upon the system. You may have to navigate through it, but it's not your security. It's not your hope. But most Christians today here in the United States, it is. It's still you got to do what you got to do, then God will take care of the rest. You got to do your part. Well, there's nothing in Scripture that says that. Your part is trust God. That's your part. God has done all the rest. Now, what does that mean? That means that you may not get that nice house that you want. You may not drive the nice car that you want. You may not have all these extra luxurious things. But God said, seek ye first the kingdom of God 
then all of these things that you need will be added to you. Now, that is what Jesus says. The world says, you go seek it for yourself and then ask God to bless it. Backwards. Everything's backwards. But when we look at this message in Isaiah, he's given it to us straightforward that this is where you put your hope. Hey, listen, come, come. If you're thirsty, come to the waters. Who's the living water? Jesus. It flows from him. And who? You have no money. Come buy and eat. Yes, buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend money for it's not bread and your wages for it doesn't satisfy? We eat what we need to come and eat what is good. Well, what is good? It is a relationship with Jesus Christ. We are now feasting upon him and his word. He said he's the bread of life. And so we come and we feast upon the bread of life. We're no longer laying up treasures for ourselves in this world. We, we come to him. Now, this is the thing. It's offered to us at no charge. Come. If you don't have any money, come. Don't come with the worldly system because that money don't do you any good if you're coming to the table of Jesus. Your money won't do you any good. He's saying, come, feast, eat, drink. Your soul will be satisfied. Now, again, it's offered to us for free, but it cost God dearly. He gave his son as a sacrifice so that we can come to this table. See, the thing is, is in the, when, when the fall took place, we had no access back to the Father. The Father's table was set, but no one could come because no one, we were all born into sin from that point forward. So there was no way that we could come within ourselves to say, oh, I'm good enough. I can go to the table of God. I can come and be a part of God. No, God says, no, uh, there's a gap now. There's this big vacuum between me and you. And the only way to get that vacuum sealed is to come through Jesus. He is the only way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. So now he's saying, listen, come. Come. And this is the wonderful news that we have. Isaiah is speaking. He's speaking, obviously, uh, to Israel in their day. And he's speaking as a whole prophetically to our day that anyone who loves the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loves your neighbors yourself, you're coming to Jesus and you're feasting upon real, solid food. No longer the milk. We need to give up the milk, move on to good, chewy food and digest it and continue to grow into it. Any other thoughts that you all might have on these verses before we move on? I work remotely, so there's is a limit to how much interaction I have with people. Um, but unless you get somehow I get into a conversation, you just get the feeling that the deception is that you're not thirsty. Right. That's the busyness and all this external stuff going on is distracts distracts a person from what's really going on inside. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of people who say, I'm, I'm fine. To be hungry and thirsty would let me to get, say, that emptiness, 
is a gift. Mm -hmm. To have that sense of something's missing. Right. It's really a gift. Yeah. And and it is when you when you connect when the spirit of God touches your heart and you connect what is missing. Yeah. The the hard part in the culture that we live in is that they know something's missing, but they trill, they still go into the wrong sources to fill it. Yeah. And Jesus is the only source. Mm-hmm. And see, this is the this is the wonderful thing about a relationship with God. It doesn't happen just because we're lucky. We just we just got lucky and found Jesus. Mm-hmm. No. We were to a point to where we recognize that nothing that we have to bring is going to satisfy. Nothing we can do on our own. Nothing we can purchase our own. And then the Holy Spirit reveals to us, no, but let me tell you where the source is. And he's the spring of living water. And what did he tell the lady at the well? You know, I, the water I give you drink, you'll never thirst again. And that's the thing that we have. And this is this is the offer on the table for all who would believe is that listen if you don't ever want to thirst again come I've got the water that will satisfy I've got the food that will satisfy I've got everything that will satisfy but you have to come to the place where you realize that nothing in the world will satisfy or else that's not going to be enough either because you have many that have prayed a a drive-by prayer but they're still living in the world Mm-hmm. They're still living in the system of the world, expecting the world to provide for them, but they've got their insurance box checked. Mm-hmm. And that's not a relationship. Mm-hmm. There's something missing there. The spirit has not been revived. I was reading something earlier today, and it really, it, 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 I, I've always understood it, but not quite this way. We know that when, when um, Adam and Eve fell, their spirit pretty much died or went to sleep. But in reality, it only went to sleep to the Spirit of God. It was still awakened to the demonic spirits. Remember, they took the tree of the good and not of, of good and evil. Their minds were open to evil, and so therefore now they understood it, and the flesh began to take control of the internal spirit. And when the flesh took control of their spirit, their spirit was then driven by the flesh and driven by the mind and the desires and the demonic realm then steps in and it enhances it and so then therefore they have this draw to this to the demonic negative spirits but they're still dead to the spirit of God because they have sinned and so it has to be awakened again and only through Jesus can that spirit be awakened back to God and then turn away from the evil. Those men are drawn to evil. I mean, there's no other way to look at it. The spirit of man is still alive, but he's dead to the things of God. And only Jesus can reawaken that spirit to say, listen, you're going down the wrong path. You're seeking the wrong thing. You're feasting upon the wrong food, drinking the wrong water. Oh, everyone who's thirsty, come to me, and I will fill and your spirit is awakened. And that's just that I've never really considered that. I've just always said, well, that spirit, the, the spirit is pretty much asleep or dormant, but it's only dormant to God. It's not dormant to the things of the world and the demonic aspect. Because that's what it's drawn to. And the demons know it. Mm-hmm. Now I can tell you this, they can't make you do anything. The devil made me do it. Doesn't work when no. you stand before God. You have to stand before God and say, I, made, I did this. I was tempted to do it. 
Satan knows your weaknesses. He's got legions of demons all over watching your moves, knowing your weaknesses, knowing how to bring that temptation at the right time, and knowing when you're at the most vulnerable point. But when you're awakened in Jesus and your spirit is awakened, then that spirit is now aligned with the Holy Spirit. And that's where your strength comes to be able to say, no, no, I don't want to go that way anymore. Now I'm going to walk this way. And he gives you the power and the strength and his word feeds you. And this is where this is how, how wonderful it is when you're in a relationship with God. Now verses 3 through 6. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The sure mercies of David. I, indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know. And nations who do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Any thoughts on these verses? Well, it's the same plea and promise he's made ever since the fall. Different wording sometimes because it's different situations, but yeah. it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. He doesn't change. No, that's right. And this is definitely not just a call to the nation Israel. It's to right. it's a general call to all humanity. Mm -hmm. so yeah, I mean he's saying here, uh, nations you do not know, and nations who don't know you run to you. Basically, if you go and you look in. Um, I believe it's in Colossians chapter 2. It's talking about the joining of Israel and the Gentiles through Jesus. It's, it's, it's bringing them together. And that's what Jesus does. See, Jesus crosses the, the racial barrier between Jews and Gentiles. And, and that's the, that, again, is one of the, he's the only one that could do that. And so, you know, it, it's bringing him. So basically, he's saying, here, come to me here, and your soul shall live. And he's making this everlasting covenant. And first it's the covenant with Israel and then the covenant with the other nations. And it's his covenant. He implements the covenant. He then mediates the covenant. He's the one that makes it work. He's the only one that can. It's just like God with Abraham. God made the covenant. Abraham went to a trance. He didn't have anything to say. God did all the saying. And then later it says, and God swore by himself because there was no one greater he didn't swear with Abraham. Abraham didn't swear with God. God swore to himself, I'm making this covenant, and I'm going to hold it, I'm going to sustain it, and I'm going to make it work. And this is exactly what it is with the new covenant. Now in Jesus, it's a done thing. Jesus implemented the new covenant when he went to the cross, and he shed his blood. And then when he died and rose again, sealed the deal. And now we have this covenant that our high priest, Jesus, is implementing, mediating, operating, making it all work, and sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us as we speak. And that's what, that is the covenant that he's making with us, as he's also made the covenant with Israel. Now, I look at this last part of this verse, which says, uh, Seek the Lord while he may be found. What this implies to me is that the time will come when the door is closed and he won't be found. 
I mean, it wouldn't be worded this way otherwise. Seek the Lord while he may be found. In other words, he, he, he's not, and the door's going to be shut. It'll eventually be too late. It will be too late. That's his timetable. Yeah. We're in this season of grace. We're in this season of mercy. We don't know when that timetable table's going to take place, but we need to be seeking him now. Today's the day of salvation. Today is the day we have the opportunity to seek Jesus. Luke 13, 24 through 25 says, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you. Where are you from? Where you are from, he says. And then James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. This is all active, you know, seeking God. This is what we're talking about. We're actually seeking God while he may be found. We're drawing near to God. He draws near to us. This is all in the season of grace that we're living in right now. And that door is wide open. In Hebrews 10, oh yeah, go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, I was thinking when you were talking about that, I was thinking about the ark. You know, when that door is shut, you kind of visualize how many people was probably smacking that door trying to get in. Yeah. And the way that ark was built, when God and God's the one that sealed that. Yeah. You know, Noah didn't close that door. God closed it and sealed right. it. And I, I haven't seen that replica that they built up in, in Kentucky. A lot of people have. But I imagine there's no, no way to hold on to that thing from the outside. If God sealed them in, there wasn't a handle. <laughs> and there wasn't any, it was all probably so tightly put together, not even a finger hold that you could grab a hold of to try to hang on, let alone storming like it was, water coming up, water coming down, 40 days, 40 nights. No, no, the door was shut. Exactly, and God shut that door. Hebrews 10.22 says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So, so when we're seeking God, while he may be found, we have to seek him with a true heart and a true assurance of faith. It also says in Hebrews that uh, in order to please God, you must, you must have faith and you have to believe that he is. You have to believe that he is. So many people are, they believe that there's a God. They believe in something that they want to hang on to, but they don't want to submit to the true God because that's, that is a all-in scenario. You're out of control at that point. You don't control anything. That's really what true salvation is. True salvation is coming to Jesus saying, I'm, I'm a lost sinner. I have nothing within myself to redeem myself. Therefore, you've paid a price. I receive that. Now, I am dead, and you're living through me. The judgment of, of our sin came upon Jesus. But it also came upon us because we have now reckoned ourselves dead with him. His death is now our death. We've received that death 
through him, but we've also received life through him because he was resurrected. So therefore, when we die to our sin and die to our flesh, then our spirit is awakened, as we said earlier, to God, and now we have been resurrected with him. And this is all present day. We're not talking about at the end. There is a resurrection at the end when people are, you know, will come uh, out of their graves. But I'm talking about at this moment in this time, we are literally resurrected in Jesus by faith. But we have to come with the true heart and the full assurance of that faith. Because if we don't, then there's doubt. And the doubt will keep us from going all in. The doubt will keep us from saying, yes, Lord, I give you all. Most of the time is I'll give you this much. Up to here is all I'm going to give. And then God keeps revealing himself and revealing himself. And, and we realize, listen, I have nothing. I mean, why do I want anything in this world? There's nothing here for me. And so we give it all to him. We draw near to him, and he draws near to us. Any other comments on these verses? Okay, verses 7 through 11. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, hallelujah, hallelujah. Nor are, my ways your, my, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Again, some of my favorite verses. In the, in, the, in the word, it really confirms so much that God is absolute. His word is truth, and it will accomplish what he sets forth to do. Any thoughts from y'all? He's, he doesn't have the problem we have with his finite mind. We're, we have a closed mind. And it's limited to what we can understand, what we can receive, knowledge, information. And, and, and we feed it all kinds of knowledge and all kinds of information. I mean, constantly uh, articles are coming down, news reports, whatever it might be. People love to learn. They grow. They get this knowledge. But all of this knowledge can't be processed to the full extent, because our minds can't, our computer, is, it, it's weak. It's like we have the old 60s computer, the one that had, what, one megabyte? And that's all it had, and it took up a whole room, you know? 
And well, that's those of us with a big head. We got that whole big room, but only one little megabyte in there. We can't process because we don't have the full understanding. We haven't been programmed to. God is the creator of all. He's the, he's the all-knowing. And so when he speaks a word, he's speaking for the present, the past, and the future. He's speaking it all into being. And, and, and we can't see anything but this one little bitty bubble. And so we say, well, well, why can't we understand God? Because he's beyond understanding. That's why the scripture says when we're seeking him and he gives us the peace that what? Surpasses all understanding. Because in the midst of the horrible time, you don't have peace. But when he gives you that peace, you're like, where'd that come from? Because it's you're not in this circumstance. He's, he came into the circumstance with you. He brought the peace. No, he didn't. And and even in Ecclesiastes, I think he wrote, he said, he said, I applied my wisdom. I never lost my wisdom, but I tested everything and tasted everything. He was comparing. He never lost his wisdom except for him doing that to begin with. <laughs> You know I, that 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 baffles me because he exactly he was he was the wisest wisest man and God said but because you haven't asked for long life and you haven't asked for prosperity I'm gonna give you that too you know and gave him all all this knowledge and understanding and wisdom but even in Solomon's wisdom it was capped had it not been he wouldn't have taken all those wives and all those concubines he would not have lived the life that he lived and 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 been and fallen the way he fell in his last days because that wisdom would have been sustained because he could see the full picture his wisdom as much as he had was still limited exactly and there's where the biggest problem lies if you don't give god the glory because he won't share his glory with anybody and if you don't give him the glory you're not going to you're not going to get the benefits you're going to be constantly fighting with him and, and pushing against him because you're wanting to understand. And this is the biggest thing that that believers struggle with in their relationship with God, and that is why. Why did this happen? I don't understand. I love you, Jesus. I've accepted you, Jesus. I pray. I seek. I study your word. I know I'm in relationship with you. Why did this happen? Why did I lose a loved one? Why did someone get sick? Why did this earthquake take 8,000 people? Why did these things, bad things happen? And there is an answer to a general answer, but it doesn't give you the specific answer. The general answer, which most people think now is just a passive cliche, is because of sin. When sin entered the world, it didn't just affect mankind. It affected the animals. It affected the earth as a whole. Everything was tainted from that point on. And so now, you know, we have earthquakes, we have tornadoes, we have storms, we have fires, we have sickness, we have all of these things. Yeah, it's all linked back to the fall. It's all linked back to sin. But then the one would say, well, if you're a Christian, why would you, and you now have Jesus in, in your life, why do you have to deal with that too? Because he gives everyone free will and he's not going to snatch someone out right now he's going to let us all have to grow together and we're going to be touched by the sin that's in the world <coughs> and we're going to have effects around us but does that mean he's not in control no and so when we come to him and say lord 
you know, if I were you, I would have done it this way. And he said, well, you ain't, you ain't me. <laughs> and my ways aren't your ways. So quit trying to do it your way. And he'll and, and, and my thoughts, you know, Lord, I, I, my finite mind says this would be the simple way from A to Z. And he said, yes, that's the simple way to A to Z in your finite mind. But what you don't realize is from B all the way up. To what's the letter right before Z? W, Y, Z, X, Y, Z. Why? <laughs> B to Y, we don't understand. All we see is A and Z. I want, here I am, and here's where I want to be, and we got all this stuff in between that he sees that we don't. There's no doubt. Exactly. I mean, that, that's the whole purpose of the church remaining. I mean, outside of corporate worship together and, and worshiping God and praising Him and growing and learning, that's, the, that's a function of the church. But the other function is to be the light in the world. And That's right. We're going to be affected by it, but we also see others that we can bring comfort and hope to. And they're going to see us. They're going to say, how are you keeping your head together when you're going through this? How are you having to have peace? How do you have this peace when you're going through this, when you're going through that? And every situation is different. Everybody's life is different. Everybody's home is different. Everybody's family is different. And we all go through different things. And God does allow some things to happen that we can't comprehend in our minds as to why in the world this would have ever happened. But his ways are always perfect. His thoughts are always perfect. His, his, his um, word will not return void. It's going to accomplish what he sends out for it to do. And that's why we as the church need to be standing upon his word, not ours. We need to be standing upon the truth that is written and that, that is spoken. And, and the holy word of God that is inspired by the Holy Spirit. If we taint that or deny it, or pick and choose what we want from it, what are we saying about God? We're saying, no, your thoughts, you know, I don't agree with your thoughts, so therefore I'm not going to say them. In other words, <laughs> exactly. Right now, you know, well, your truth is your truth, and my truth is mine. Well, you tell God that his truth is not your truth, you're the one in trouble. You know, and there's where, there's where we've come, is that we can't grasp that we have a perfect, holy Sovereign, merciful God. Sent their own God. And I wonder if the writer, the Wizard of Oz, wasn't a believer because they're all looking for something better. And this great and terrible Oz was a weak little man. Yeah. yeah. Right. right. And that's it. You know, people are seeking something, and, it's, and that's what it is. It's a weak yeah. little whatever. Yeah. It, it's not God. And, and he's the only one that has the power and the strength. Mm -hmm. And this is where it comes down to where, again, in a relationship, we have to find ourselves saying, God, whether I understand you or not, I trust you. Whether I like it or not, I trust you. Whether it feeds my flesh, which it won't, or not, I trust you. And there is the, there's where the hard part, because God is saying in these verses, listen, I'm God and you're not. Otherwise, he would give us the ability to, to sit down and hash it out with him. And he said, oh, 
maybe you're right. No, I don't ever want my holy God to tell me that I'm right. I want him to be right and me just follow along because that's the only thing that we have that we can stand on. The finite mind cannot understand the thoughts of God. And whatever he speaks is going to happen in accordance to his will. It's going to be accomplished. Mark thirteen thirty one says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And then 1 Thessalonians 2, 13 says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as in, in truth. The word of God, which is also effective, which also effectively works in you who believe. The word of God is working in you effectively. The word of God is, is spoken and it didn't come from it. Yeah, man, man spoke it, but God told him what to say. And even even Jesus told the disciples, listen, when they haul you into court, don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will tell you what to say when these times come. It's confirmed over and over and over. When God speaks, we better be listening. And we better be obeying. That's where we need to get to the point where we're going to obey, whether we understand it, whether we completely, even if we don't even completely believe it, we have to say, but God, you said it. So therefore, help my unbelief. Because <laughs> if he said it, it's true. And that's what is amazing to me is when you have church organizations that takes God's word and divides it up and says, no, we don't agree with that anymore. So therefore, we're, we're going we're gonna to welcome this into the church because it's fair and it's culturally acceptable and this is the way it is and, and God's going to be okay with it. No, he's not tolerant. And, I, and again, you know, we were, we were talking in our Bible study last night, you know, uh, another local Methodist church is really going through a, a really difficult time. They brought a new pastor in not too long ago, and um, she is in the woke side of things from what I'm hearing. The church wanted to, to pull out of the United Methodist Church because of the, 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 the decisions that they've made. Well, now the overall leadership of the Methodist organization has stopped all pullouts. They're not allowing them anymore. So basically, they've now stuck. They can't pull out. So a big chunk of them have left the church and started another church. And left, I mean, this is a nice, big church. I think they said there's probably about 60 people there right now out of whatever they were because of this thing. God's word is true. And those who understand his truth to be true, they're not going to stay in a place where it's not. Some will because they want it to be different. They're trying to invent their own God, as you said a while ago. They're trying to make it their way. But it's not a church. And there's the difference. God's word has to be the foundation of any church. And when God's word has been, has been shifted or changed or altered or whatever for your, for your purpose, then you're completely out of alignment with him, his word, his will, and his plan. And specifically, you're no longer in a relationship. You're not in relationship with God when you say his word only applies where you want it to. And it's only true when you want it to be. The word of God effectively works in those who believe. For those who don't, 
it won't effectively work and they'll drift off and try and find something else that they can hang on to. Verses 12 and 13. For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorns shall come up the cypress tree and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree and it shall be to the Lord for a name for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Any thoughts on these verses, these last few verses? You don't have to worry about it. <coughs> right. Just leaving. It's like you're leading the, the pillar of fire in the cloud. Mm-hmm. You just follow it. Right. But when our own decisions get in the way, to go this way or to go this way, mm-hmm. We're not led by his peace yeah. in that all. No. And so therefore we're out of alignment. Mm-hmm. We're out of alignment. But when we are in alignment with him, he will lead us with his peace. And the mountains and the hills break forth the sea. And you know, uh, that's, that's an interesting interesting vision to see mountains and hills singing and, and uh, worshiping. But they're worshiping God. You know, all the trees of the field will clap their hands. And what did he tell the... People, when they were saying, telling people to be quiet when he was walking by, and he said, hey, no, let them cry out. If they don't cry out, the rocks are going to cry out. <laughs> you know? I mean, Jesus can make the rocks sing. And he can make, he can just, he can do wonderful things and, and lead us in, in through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is a promise. It's a promise of our hope. This is the hope that's coming. This is the absolute, I guess you would say, the finality of it. You know, it's like, uh, the grand ending is coming to an end and, and all of this is going to be our hope and we have a hope that is non-compromising because Jesus was non-compromising he lived a life a human life but he lived it sinless so therefore he was not compromised he was able to go to the cross on our behalf he was able to be that sacrificial lamb we were tainted we have no hope without Jesus. And this is the hope that is coming. Romans 5, 1 through 2. That we're having been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in this hope that we have. We gained access by faith through this grace that he's offered, through this call, if you're thirsty, come. If you're hungry, come. I will feed you satisfying food. I will give you satisfying drink. We come to that table that he's offering through faith, and then we stand, and then we rejoice. We rejoice. Rejoice, and again I say rejoice, because being joyful and rejoicing doesn't mean that you're not going through a difficult time. You can rejoice in grief. You can rejoice in grief. Why? Because we serve a holy, hopeful God. I mean, a God of hope that we have, that we know that whatever we're grieving over is only temporary. And that's what we hang on to. And First Peter 1, 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Now that is a verse we can hang on to. You want to talk about a prosperity message, that's a prosperity message. It's not about money in your pocket today. It's about the hope that we have of being raised, incorruptible, undefiled, and it won't fade away. You remember Moses when he when he went up on the mountain? First of all, he wanted I mean he wanted to have the people there at the foot of the mountain too. And God wanted to speak to all of them. Well they were too afraid. They couldn't stand before holy God. They could stand before a man because it's easier to justify your sin and not really go all in when you're hearing it from a guy. But when you're, spe- when you're hearing God's thundering and rumbling, no, 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 Moses, you go up. We'll wait for you to come back. Well, of course, you know, he goes up. They don't see him for a while. Oh, they, God must have killed him. Let's build a calf. First thing they want to do. They could stand before the calf, absolutely. But think about it. When Moses did come down, he had to cover, he had to cover his face with a veil. Because he was in the presence, in the glory presence of God. He shone. I mean, he was radiantly beaming. And, but it faded. That, that radiance that he had was only temporary. And the people couldn't handle it, so he covered it. As soon as it would fade away, he'd take it off. He'd go back to the mountain and have to cover again. But the point I'm making here is that when we uh, are, are believers, our inheritance is going to be incorruptible, undefiled, and it will not fade. So therefore, we will be in that brightness of his glory for eternity. And there will be no veil. And we're always going to be shining. Because he's shining. And we're kept by the power of God. Through faith. For salvation ready to be revealed in its last time. Listen, we've already, we're saved. If you believe in Jesus and you, and when I say believe in Jesus, I mean that you really have come to him and you said, Lord, you're everything and I'm nothing. I'm not bringing anything to the table. This is not just a box I'm checking off. This is a relationship that you're in control of. Paul called it a bond servant. He was a bond servant. A bond servant is one that comes and gives all of our rights and all of our wishes, all of our will, now is given over. That's what a bond servant is. It's a willing slave. And in in their day, basically, if you were a slave and it came to the point where you had either paid your debt or your jubilee, whatever it was, where you could be set free, you could come back to the master of the house and say, I don't want to leave. I want to remain here as your slave. Because they were treated well. They were, you know, it wasn't, a, it wasn't bad. It was, it was a good thing. They would take them. They'd, put it, they'd drive an auger or whatever through their ear at the doorpost. Sounds painful, doesn't it? But that was their mark, really, to say that they have willingly, freely given up for the rest of their lives to be under the master. And they were happy to do it. And that's what a bondservant that Paul describes is. We come, we don't come and say, I'm giving you this much, but when the time is up, I want to go back. You say, no, I want all in. That's the relationship that God is looking for. That's the relationship that we have through Jesus. It's not just a halfway, part-time, in-and-out thing. It's not just going to church. It's not just 
uh, singing. It's not just uh, working and, and doing good things in the community. All of those things are good, but what does he say? You know, when they come saying, but we did this in your name, and we did that in your name, and we don't, and he said, well, but I never knew you. He doesn't care what you do. He wants to know you. And once you know him and he knows you, he will give you what he wants you to do, and it will be the right thing to be doing at the right time because the Spirit's telling you to do it. And that's what a relationship with God is supposed to look like. And so what we have today in the church is not that for the most part in a lot of, in a lot of circles. It's not all in. It's just a routine thing that people do. It's a religion. It's not a relationship. And it's coming. The time is coming where God's going to shake that up. I think he's already begun. But there's going to be a shaking up in the church in the United States. We're seeing it with splits. We're seeing it with this happening and that happening. It's going to get worse. But God's bride will be holy and will be spotless without blemish. That means the rift's got to go and the raft's got to go. Get rid of the rift and the raft. Can't hang on the rift and get rid of raft. Got to get rid of both of them. But God has to do it. It's not our job to go around saying, you, out. You, you can stay. No. It's our job to say, Lord, may I be in. Change my heart, O oh God. Change my heart to be what you want me to be. Any final comments before we close? Wicked men forsake his way, and evil man, an unrighteous man, his thoughts turn to God's ways and God's thoughts. The whole anatomy of repentance and then the payoff. There's always a good payoff. God doesn't leave us like, uh, um, um, like what's this, in one of Timothy or Titus, because flee this, but turn to that. Mm -hmm. Let go of this, but latch on to that. Right. It's not, and what you latch on to God is abundant. In him. Not, like it's not prosperity, but it's abundant. Mm -hmm. It's satisfying. And the lie is if you latch on to the Lord, you're going to be deprived and empty and miserable. Mm -hmm. That's a lie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, too, is when, you know, a lot of people, and, and repentance is huge. Recognition, repentance, restoration yeah. have to be in that order. But the, 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 the thing that sometimes is really not looked at in that is you can't repent, you can't turn from until you turn to. Yeah. Turning to has to come before you can turn away from. Because you, otherwise it's just going to be a puff of smoke. Mm -hmm. I'll do it today because this sounded good. A motivational speaker told me if I quit this habit, I'll be more successful. So poof, I will do that today. I'll buy an exercise bike. Be a clothes rack tomorrow because <laughs> we have nothing to turn really to that's of any substance. But when you turn to Jesus, repentance then becomes real because then we see He's revealed to me by His light, by His Spirit, that I am really a sinner and He's the only one that can redeem me. So I turn to Jesus, I turn away from sin. But a lot of people want to turn away from whatever bad things are in their life, you know, it, it's, it's like. Uh, an alcoholic who says, I'm not going to drink anymore. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't go to the bar, and he doesn't do this, he doesn't do that. He still fights it, he still does it, and there's nothing really to keep him solid 
it's easier for him to go back because he's made a determination in his mind. When we meet Jesus, it changes the heart. It's like the house swept clean. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Instead of bringing Jesus into it. That's right, because if you if you do empty yourself of whatever you got going on, but Jesus isn't what you put in its place. Yeah, yeah it comes back seven times worse. Yeah, so that's right. You want to fill your house with, with Jesus. And he might move you out of your comfort zone and doing something else, but so what? Once you get used to that, whatever it is that Jesus is leading you to do, you think, Oh, this isn't so bad after all. Right. And then he wants you to get you out of that comfort zone. Yeah. <laughs> and then he wants you to get out of the next comfort zone. Because yeah. we, we settle, you know. We're, we can settle so quickly. And, oh, I've, just, I've been awakened. Let me settle it. He said, okay, you're awake now. Now you got to get up and move. But, but I want to just sit here for a while. Nope. Let me get you up and move you. And then you walk for a while. Like you said, yeah, now I'm used to walking. But then something will happen you'll sit again. And where do we sit? Sometimes in the most dangerous places. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, but they look so nice. I was listening, y'all remember the old comedian Mike Warnke? I think I brought him up before. Mike Warnke, he was a uh, comedian back in the 70s and he was talking about being in Vietnam and he said, uh, he said he wound up carrying all this extra weight, the whatever that, the bazooka thing, all that whole, it's like 80 or 90 pounds worth of weight on top of his regular pack. And he said, I'm carrying this because the other guy fell out. And he said, I'm falling behind. People are going ahead of me. They're going ahead of me. And I'm just <laughs> just trugging along. And he said, all of a sudden, he said, I come into this, into this beautiful valley and this creek that I have to cross. And he said, I, I step into this creek. And he said, it's like those cartoons where the feet just go the cool water. And he's, he just was so comfortable. And he said, you know, I just want to. I just want to stay here. This is a comfortable place. This is a. This is a, a place I can rest. And but after a few minutes, he began to realize. But he said, "Wait a minute." He said, "This is the most vulnerable place. We have to hike to the mountain. We've got to get up the mountain so we have the the pinnacle view of what's going around down here in this low spot. They can see me. I can't see them." So no matter how good it looks or how good it feels when you come into that point, you got to keep moving. And he said, "I walked on out." You know, he, he he took on off. But but that's 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 a, a visual of of how it is for us. You know, we can get into that place where it's just easier because it feels comfortable and it's, and it's cool water, and we just sit for a while, and then we realize, but this is not a safe place. And God wants us to be in His in 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 with Him in in that relationship, which sometimes. It may not be safe from the standpoint of the culture in the world, but it's the safest place in the world to be when you're in him. He's going to take you up where he wants you to be and give you the ability to see everything going on around you. And that is the God that we serve. Absolutely. Sit there a little too long, and all of a sudden the enemy's on top of you. Yeah. So, Father.